as you are willing and able, would you join me in standing to hear this reading of God's word taken from John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around Jesus and said to him, How long do you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know my sheep and my sheep follow me. And I give my sheep eternal life and my sheep will never perish. And no one can snatch my sheep out of my hand. My Father who has given my sheep to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch my sheep out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful word. Please, by your Spirit, teach us, change us, work your will in us, that what we hear this morning, what we come to understand, would drive our lives towards your glory. We thank you and praise you in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. As I was thinking this morning uh, during my wife's and I time of, of our devotions, we're reading through a wonderful book by a man named Paul David Tripp. And as we were sitting in our backyard looking at the... The animals running around. We have a horse farm behind our home, and it's a wonderful place to sit in the mornings in the shade. And the thought came to me that I decided I would share with you, and just marveling at God's creation. You know, a single seed we plant in the ground, and it grows mighty plants, some that are smaller. We put a seed in a woman, and it grows a child. It's a beautiful, magnificent thing of what God does. And there is this one bit of understanding about God's creation that has stuck with me over the years, and it's understanding the, the nature of a giraffe. If you think about a giraffe, they have a huge, long neck, but with the same amount of vertebrae in it as we have in our neck. They also have a heart the size of a basketball in order to pump that blood in their body all the way up to their brain through that long neck. But someone might look at that and go, that's a, that's a problem. Because what happens when they bend over, they spread their front legs way wide in order to take a drink. They're lowering that head way down to the water. All that blood that would be in that basketball-sized heart that's being pumped now through that neck to the brain would blow it up. But in God's magnificent creation, he created in the brain area of the giraffe this special spongy material that will absorb that blood that's being pumped by that basketball-sized heart. And it will hold it until that giraffe needs to get up and move, whether it's at the sight of a lion or the smell of another predator. It can stand up without fainting. Unlike you and I, we might get up real fast and feel a little faint. 
It's the beauty of God's creation. And when we're looking at the passage here this morning, I'd like you to consider in the midst, just that one example, as you can come up with many others, as we think about the character of God, as Jesus describes it here for us this morning. Few things are more precious to a child than to be assured that mom and dad will always be there to help as best they can with what they need. It is deeply comforting to know that dad and mom are committed to be there for their child even during the toughest of times. In friendships and family relations, faithfulness is greatly treasured. How comforting it is knowing that when we make mistakes with each other, we have friends and family who are willing to keep the relationship going. We feel safe when we know they are interested in persevering even through the rough times where we can forgive one another and be restored in our loving relationship with each other. Yet it it can be crushing when a cherished relationship with a family member or close friend is severely damaged or ends because someone decides they no longer want to be in the relationship because their feelings and affections have changed. With God, the commitment to preserve the relationship he has with each of his children is infinitely greater than that which we strive to have with our loved ones. We falter and fail one another in our desire and our commitment to always be there for each other. But God does not fail nor falter. He is always and everlastingly caring for, preserving, and loving his people, each and every one of them. He never stops, nor can he be stopped by anyone or anything from loving his precious flock. Each follower of Christ Jesus can take great assurance of and trust in God's generous care for his people, confident that they are forever held in his hand for his honor and glory. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know my sheep. My sheep follow me, and I give my sheep eternal life, and my sheep shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch my sheep out of my hand. My Father who has given my sheep to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch my sheep out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This passage is one from which each follower of Christ can take exceeding comfort and assurance of God's daily, moment by moment, and everlasting care for and deliverance of his people, no matter what comes our way. But in actuality, the context is not just for followers of Christ. It is also for those who are hostile to Jesus. Jesus is speaking primarily to Pharisees who are challenging his authority to say he is the good shepherd. As recorded earlier in this same chapter, they are challenging Jesus' rightful claims. Listen to them. The Father, that the Father loves him. That he lays down his life for his sheep. That he has other sheep that he must bring to be part of this one flock. That he and the Father are one. That no one takes his life from him, but he lays it down of his own accord. And he has the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. Therefore, there was division among 
again among the Jews because of these sayings of Jesus. And many of the Jews said, he has a demon, he is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So Jesus continues here in verse 22. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded Jesus and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. Let's consider briefly a few of the miraculous works that Jesus did, which should have been, but were not enough for these Jewish leaders to take seriously Jesus' truthful words. While visiting in Cana, Jesus heals a nobleman's son who is lying sick in Capernaum. The nobleman pleads for Jesus to come with him before his child dies. But instead of going with him, Jesus tells the man to head on home, for his son will live. The nobleman soon finds out on his way home from the servant coming to find him that his son was healed the very moment that Jesus said that he would be healed. Sometime later, Jesus crosses over the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people follow him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. He then proceeded to feed the 5,000 with five small barley loaves and two small fish. After everyone had their fill, Jesus' disciples went and collected an abundance of leftovers. The smaller amount of fish and loaves that were used to feed, the greater the amount of leftovers. Jesus heals the man born blind by simply making some mud with his own saliva, taking the dirt and spitting into it and applying it to the man's eyes, as recorded in John chapter 9. Jesus' disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Their question shows their, their ignorance of only giving two options. They think they understand the reality of life, but they are yet to be taught to understand the truth as God reveals it. Neither this man... Nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. That man was Jesus' instrument in showing forth the glory of God. But you do not believe, Jesus tells the Pharisees, because you are not my sheep, as I said to you. This is a dramatic statement by Jesus. He clearly announces to these people who do not believe what he says about himself that they do so because they are not his sheep. It is not because they are not smart enough, nor because they are not the right culture, nor due to their economic station in life, or due to their sex, or anything else. But instead, Jesus says they do not believe because they are not his own sheep. Then Jesus continues with his assuring statements about his father's sheep. His sheep and how they react to his voice and how he and his father will abundantly care for them in all circumstances 
and never let them go. Contrary to the disapproving and unbelieving Pharisees, the man born blind whom Jesus healed, when he came face to face with Jesus, he believed. He believed Jesus to be the Son of Man and worshipped Jesus. Jesus declares, My sheep hear my voice, and I know my sheep, and my sheep follow me. Jesus has sheep, people that are his, and there are those who are not his. There are two main groups of people in the world. There are those who belong to Christ, and he knows them with an everlasting love, and there are those who are not his, who do not hear his voice as a loving and caring shepherd, and do not follow him. The characteristics of Jesus' sheep, this is what we can count on and look to and take assurance in. Jesus' sheep, they hear his voice. When someone comes to faith in Christ, they hear his voice and are attracted to it. One of the important things that I said when, years ago when I was working at the Bethesda Mission in Harrisburg and was doing their early introduction course, and I equated coming to faith in Christ like a radio, that a radio can have all the parts it needs to work well, but if it's never plugged in or provided electricity by batteries, it will not operate. And until the Holy Spirit takes a hold of someone, we will not see the reality of what God has revealed in us. There's a capability. We have, we have the intellect. We have the insight. We have the emotions. But unless the Holy Spirit enlivens us to believe that which God has revealed, we won't. And so I said to them that if at any time you feel an attraction to God, that something that I'm saying to you makes sense, that you're attracted to it, please follow it. Open up God's word and start to read it. And I recommended the, the Gospel of John. Because that could be God working in your heart. Maybe for the very first time. Followers of Jesus Christ rightly respond to God's word. It is attractive to them. They hear it and believe it. When Jesus calls through his word, they listen and respond. We, we respond as broken cisterns. And if you ever heard the, the story about how do you fill a pot that has holes in it, that can't hold water. Anyone ever brought that to your attention sometime? I think the answer is just a wonderful illustration of what it means to be a follower of Christ. The only way to fill a broken pot is to immerse it completely in the water or the substance you want to be in it. And when God immerses us in the Holy Spirit, we are filled. We are filled to overflowing. There is an embracing interest in his word. His voice and his commands, his law, his very law are a delight to our ears. And the thought of him as our cherished Savior and Lord is a treasure so great that they are even willing to deny everything else to live just for him. Jesus did not just die for our past and your future. He really did shed his blood for your here and now too. 
He died for the tough conversation that you need to have with your spouse, your rebellious child, or your friend. He died for your struggle to work for that angry, constantly dissatisfied boss. He died for the tensions in your broken and difficult extended family. He died for the sexual temptation that seems to get the better of you. He died for the materialism that seems to kidnap you. He died for your fear of the opinions of others. He died for the torment of your anxiety and the darkness of your depression. He died so that you would have everything you need to live as he intended between the already of your conversion and the not yet of your resurrection. This comes from June 30th of Paul David's trips, yearly devotional called New Morning Mercies. I can't recommend it high enough, highly enough to you. Kathy and I started in January going through this and it has been an absolute blessing to both of us. Certainly there are times when Christ followers do not listen well and respond diligently to Jesus' voice. We all know that. But it does not last and it is not the norm. Since they are his, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will ultimately listen to the call, believe he is who he says he is, and follow him wherever he leads. Jesus' sheep are known by Jesus. Christ's followers are loved by Jesus and cared for by him because they are his beloved children. They are the ones for whom he gave his life as the perfect sacrifice for their sin. Here it is mentioned by Jesus as well as in other places that what matters most is not whether or whether you or I think we know Jesus, but rather does Jesus know me and you. We can create many types of ideas and thoughts about who Jesus is to us and how we think and we know him. But in the final part, Jesus makes it clear that what matters most is does Jesus know you as one of his sheep, a precious member of his cherished family of God. And Jesus' sheep follow him. A clear sign of being one of Jesus' sheep is following him. A sheep may lose its way from time to time, but in the whole, it does follow its shepherd. A sheep knows the voice of its shepherd and will not listen for long to the voice of a false shepherd. If temporarily deceived, the sheep will return to its shepherd as it hears the true shepherd's voice. As scripture describes, there are times we don't even know what to pray. And the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf as well as our Lord Jesus enabling us to again remember that voice that we were once attracted to. These sheep belonging to the shepherd follow him wherever he leads them and do what he directs them to do. They love and trust him for he is the one who truly loves and cares for them. What Jesus and his father do for, for Jesus' sheep, that's what we have in verse 28. And I give my sheep eternal life. And my sheep shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given my sheep to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch my sheep out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. It is God in his totality that is holding on to his sheep. One description of this word of hold is that it is 
embedded, is it impressed? Like if someone was to have a, a, um, a branding of their hand, you can't take that branding out. It is there for good. And that is the type of relationship that is described here by Jesus, that he holds us with an everlasting hold and will never, ever let go. Jesus gives his sheep eternal life. Eternal life is a gift given by Jesus to his sheep. There is no other way for them to get it except by it coming from Jesus. They cannot reach out and take it, nor can they refuse it when it is applied to them by the working of the Holy Spirit. Nor do they want to refuse it when they are his sheep. It is what they now want and are glad to have it. Jesus writes, this is recorded in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. This bit of admonition and also encouragement as to what is most important for us in our daily lives. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who is giving you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus' sheep never perish. Christ's followers are held close and are never lost. Jesus goes after them and always brings them home. He protects them from all dangers and even from themselves. Jesus' sheep cannot perish because he is almighty and nothing in all creation is able to stand against the wonderful working power of God in Jesus Christ. The psalmist described this understanding well when he wrote a very familiar psalm to us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus' sheep are not able to be removed from his care. None of Christ's own will ever be lost, but everlastingly remain in his loving and almighty care. Even death cannot fight against Christ our Lord, for he is the Lord of life and of death. He brings to life and he puts to death. He is the Lord and master of all things. 
You and I cannot stand against it, and the angels and demons cannot stand against Jesus. Satan and all his scheming and strength was cast out of heaven by God's command, but it was not accomplished by God himself. Rather, it was carried out by one of God's creatures. It was Michael, another archangel, who threw Satan out of heaven. The power of God is infinitely greater than the power of Satan. There is nothing we could even try to use to make a rightful comparison between the power. The world would like us to think that there is this cosmic duel going on between the equal power of God and Satan, but there is nothing to compare of the distance between God and Satan. Polycarp, an early church father, understood this well. He died in A.D. 150, was a disciple of the Apostle John and Bishop of Smyrna, a city in what is now modern Turkey. He was arrested by Roman authorities for preaching Jesus and brought before a Roman governor for judgment in a Roman arena. The governor appealed to Polycarp by saying, Have respect for your old age and say, Away with the atheists. Polycarp slowly surveyed the throng of people surrounded that were surrounding him, pointing to the very people who considered him to be an atheist because he rejected the many false Roman gods. Polycarp answered, Away with the atheists. Turning back to the governor, Polycarp declared, Eighty-six years I have served Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king, the one who has saved me? Polycarp was then burned alive for his love of Jesus. Jesus' sheep are not able to be removed from the Father's care. Jesus goes one step further to affirm, reaffirm his connection with God the Father and to assure his people of their preservation in life and in death. Jesus connects his care with the care of his Father and declares that his sheep, given to him by his Father, cannot be taken from the Father's hand, but are held fast and secure in his love and power forever and ever. Both Christ our Lord and God our Father hold us in their hand. We hear from Psalm 33, beginning in verse 13, these wonderful words of reaffirmation about this very reality. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes his great strength. A horse is a vain hope of deliverance. Despite all of its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Pastor Troy has used this particular uh, confession that was uh, put together back in 1563. It's the Heidelberg Catechism. 
And the first question of it is a dear and precious declaration by man, but taking what God has revealed and putting it in a form that I think is valuable for all of us to hear. The question is asked, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has paid for all of my sins with his precious blood. And he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit accuses me, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's a brief summary of that assurance that we have in Christ Jesus as his beloved sheep. This is a wonderful passage of great assurance that God in Jesus Christ preserves his people unto salvation and unto all glory for all eternity. Please keep this mental picture before you of Jesus Christ and God holding each of their sheep in their everlasting and almighty strength. With all power and magnificent love, Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of his sheep, through the power of the Holy Spirit, leads his followers where they need to go, preserves his bride in their going, and protects the body of Christ along the way so that nothing happens to the family of God except that which is of his design and of his purpose for the church's benefit and blessing and for his glory and honor. It is from this eternally secure position that each and every one of Jesus' sheep can make their way in the world, no matter the length of time that God gives to us. It is from this place of God's power that you who trust in Jesus can expect great things from God and can attempt great things for God, no matter how they may be viewed by the world. It is from this place of confidence in God's holding you with an everlasting love in Jesus that you can do whatever he calls you to do, even when you are unsure, afraid, or feeling overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life. One of the best ways God has provided for each of us to be strengthened in his good work, in his word, is reading the Psalms. On a daily basis, provides us with a regular gaze into the glory and character of God. On the back tables, I have placed a, a reading schedule if you'd like to use it, it's five psalms a day for 30 days, and you'll go through all 150 psalms. It has been transforming in, in me in taking the time to do that, which I greatly regret that I have neglected over periods of time. Remember, each follower of Christ is bought and paid for by the great work of Jesus. So you are assured that no matter what, you are held fast, and secure in the hand of God. So therefore, in that assurance, go in his great strength to uniquely show his love and speak his truth each and every moment of each and every day of your precious life. Let us pray.